So um, we've been in this series called I Don't Want To, uh, or I, my bad, that was not right. I Don't Wanna, um, and it's uh, been a series all about responsibility, and I was thinking about kind of the keys to good responsibility, and one of them is good listening, because if you don't listen, you don't know what you're responsible for. Um, and I go through this all the time with my kids. I'm sure you've never gone through this with your kids. This is just a personal problem with me. I say something that they should be responsible for, and they do not listen. For example, when you pay for a lot of markers and all this kind of stuff, one of the responsibilities our kids have is to put the, oh, and then you put it away. I know, you'd think that would be easy. And so, um, but we've struggled with it. We've struggled with it. And so as every good parent does, every loving parent, they think, how can I help? Right? And so I thought the, the perfect solution for my children to be more responsible with their markers is to get them this wonderful contraption. I brought a picture right there. Wow. Isn't that impressive? I know. Aren't I a good parent? I know. Thank you. And uh, <clears throat> so here, not only do they get to color the rainbow, uh, but it stacks nicely. And so this way, we'd be able to determine if we were missing a marker and we could find it, usually without the cap on. We could put the cap back on and we could put it safely and securely into, I can't remember what this was called, this fancy thing, okay? And that was this fall when I was out shopping uh, for back to school stuff for Elia. And um, so I brought you what it looks like today. And I kid you not, I have not changed it. I literally just grabbed it off the counter this morning. All right, there it is. <laughs> in all of its splendor. Amazing, isn't that? Yes, I know what you're thinking. What is this, Taylor? I don't know. It wasn't there when I bought it. Um, This has been chewed on two sides. By who? We'll never know. But it's safely in here. You know what I bet? I bet the marker still works on this one, though, don't you? Oh, wow. Never mind. Okay. All right. So it didn't work out, was my point, okay? Uh, As much as I have tried... Um, the markers have not been put, in away, put away correctly, and that um, is what I would call, and what we've been talking about for the last few weeks here um, with Stephanie and Devin, that's what I would call irresponsibility, right? And we've said something every week about irresponsibility, and it's this kind of continuing theme, is that irresponsibility is a problem because irresponsibility becomes someone else's responsibility, right? For me, if the marker does not get put back on. Who is responsible for putting it back on? Usually Stephanie or I. That's how it works, right? If the dishes don't get picked up off the table and put in the dishwasher, that's irresponsible. And therefore that becomes someone else's responsibility. If your coworkers do not do their job as they were asked to do in the job description that they got when you got, when they got hired and all that stuff, what do we call that? We call that And that leads to you doing what? Well, hopefully. I don't know. Some of you, maybe, maybe not. Um, And so that's what we've been talking about for the past few weeks. So today, we actually kind of called an audible. I wasn't planning necessarily to be preaching today, but we needed to talk about some things as a church. So if you're new here today, it's your lucky day, okay? This is family day today. We're just going to talk about some stuff. So you're you're really um, lucky day. Um, So I wanted to start off with this question, all right? If irresponsibility leads to somebody having to take responsibility, what happens? What happens if there is no someone to take responsibility? 
we so far in the series have been assuming that, well, someone, generally myself or someone else, when I'm irresponsible, is going to take responsibility for that problem or that relationship that kind of went awry or that task that didn't get completed. But what happens when there is no someone? What happens if there is no family member to take responsibility and do the dishes? What happens when the coworker doesn't get it done and you don't have the time or the bandwidth or even aware that it didn't get done, they did not take responsibility and now uh, it has fallen by the wayside. What, what happens? What happens if there's no one to put the markers back in the container? Well, it doesn't work anymore, right? The, the lawn's not gonna get mowed. What happens to the oil in the car if it doesn't get changed? What happens if uh, there is no one to take the child, um, a child to their practice or their events or to school, or if there's no one to take responsibility for an aging parent, or there's no one to care for the hungry, homeless individual, what happens? Well, this. In other words, or I'm going to use the term, broken, brokenness. And brokenness is a very broad term. At least I'm going to use it in a broad sense today. Sometimes in church terms, we tend to use brokenness or being broken in a, in a kind of a singular, kind of associated with sin, that kind of thing. And, and you can do that. But I think today I want to expand your horizons just a little bit to think of things just don't work as they should. When someone is irresponsible and there's no one to take responsibility, things break down. Things begin to fall into disrepair, for example, Right? Things tend to become out of order. There's disorder, there's chaos, and there's hurt. Somebody probably is going to get hurt. Somebody is going to get the short end of the stick. It's not going to work out. Somewhere down the line, because not only was there irresponsibility, but there's no one to pick up the pieces of that, it's now even worse. And it is a slight oversimplification, but You've been there. You've seen the outcome of a situation like this, right? It leads to, if no one's there to mow the yard, it leads to an overgrown yard. If no one's there to uh, change the oil, you're going to have a broken car. If no one's there to clean the dishes, the house falls into disrepair. A child does not get to participate in the opportunities that are afforded to them. Um, or uh, an aging parent is left neglected and eventually hurt. Or the homeless person goes deeply deeply hungry. You've seen this before. You've seen the failure of individuals to take responsibility and then the brokenness that comes from that. You've seen that on the part, certainly within political realm. We've seen those, right? We've seen those moments when there, uh, a group of people should have stepped up and they didn't. And we've seen those in companies and corporations when, you know, they make a mistake or do something that they shouldn't and then it falls into disrepair and, you know, they kind of take responsibility, kind of don't. But what's the end result? Things are broken and people usually get hurt. And the problem with brokenness is it ratchets, ratchets up responsibility. It takes responsibility to a whole new place. I mean, you think about that. When things are broken, then somebody's going to have to come along and not just be responsible and like clean the dishes now. Now the dishes are broken. And if you ever tried to glue together a plate that's been broken, it's nearly impossible, right? If you've ever tried to repair an engine that's seized up because there was no oil or the oil was too old, I mean, it's just a whole nother level of responsibility, isn't it? 
You're in this new field, not of just responsibility, but you're in the whole new arena of repair and redemption and um, really transformation because of something fallen in, in such great brokenness. So today, if you're not a Christian or you're not sure where you fall in the whole faith thing and you're just kind of figuring it out, that's awesome. Super glad you're here. As Caitlin and Simone said, um, we're imperfect people exploring faith, figuring it out. We're growing, we're learning. We try to do that with a degree of humility. And so today you get to sit, you just get to absorb, but you have no responsibility today. However, if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, this is where we're going to have this family chat for a little bit. Because we need to talk about some responsibility, especially in relationship to brokenness. Because this is where Christians need to pay attention. This is where Christians need to get ready to act. This is where Christians need to be ready to grow and to be a little challenged and to become, unfortunately, fortunately, a little uncomfortable. Okay? So if you're not Christian, you get past. Christians, today is your day. Because the unique thing about Christians is we should be the people who step into brokenness. That should be something that kind of, in a way, defines who we are. When a lack of responsibility leads to brokenness, it's the people who follow Jesus that should be the first ones to step up and step in to those situations. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. And if you're following Jesus, then that's what you should do as well. And there's so many examples of this. This is one that you might have heard if you grew up in church a few times, maybe a dozen times or more. But the list of this goes on. This one in particular is of an adulterous woman. It's a woman who um, was doing something that was irresponsible. And that would lead to hurt without a doubt. And the religious leaders wanted to make an example of her. In fact, they wanted to execute her for that matter. And so they took her before Jesus as kind of this test. But Jesus doesn't respond the way that they respond. See, Jesus sees the irresponsibility, calls the irresponsibility for what it is, and he loves in the midst of that. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning, John 8, sorry, John 8, and early in the morning he came again to the temple area, and all the people were coming to him. And he sat down and began to teach them. Now the scribes and the Pharisees, religious people, brought a woman caught in the act of adultery. How did they catch her? I don't know. It's kind of weird, but it happened. That's a question that I always wonder. How did this go down exactly? But all right, caught a woman. Just, okay. We got, I'm trying as a good pastor to, you know, what questions would you ask? Me too. Okay. After placing her in front, uh, her in the center of the courtyard. So they're usually, I don't know exactly where they are in the temple courtyard, maybe in the big temple courtyard or a side courtyard, but they're in a space that is walled in and filled with people. It's very public. And they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law of Moses, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? It was a test. Now, they were saying this to test him so that he, they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stopped, uh, stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. And they persisted to ask him. So he kind of like was sloughing him off a little bit. And when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, He, religious leaders, who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone 
at her. You so badly want to make an example of her, but have you not at some point in your life looked at a woman in a way that was inappropriate or irresponsible? Did you at some point in your life ever think or feel thoughts that were irresponsible, were wrong? And Jesus is like, of course you have. I don't have to be Jesus to know that. You're human. You know that. And so if you want to stand up on the pinnacle of righteousness and from there throw down stones to take this, life's, this woman's life away, you better be, make sure you have the right to stand up there. And Jesus essentially called him out to say, but you don't, and you know it. And he went back to write it on the ground. And when they, the religious leaders, heard this, they began leaving one by one, beginning with the older ones, the wiser ones, and he was left alone. And the woman where she was, left the woman in the, where she was in the center of the courtyard. And so now here's this moment between Jesus and this woman. And what did Jesus do? Everybody's kind of dissipated. Maybe there's some onlookers still. Jesus stands up and he said to her, Woman, where are they? Where are these people who are accusing you? Has no one condemned you? And if she said, no, they didn't. They, they left. Did, didn't you just see what they, they just left? And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. This is God. The one man in this whole room that has the, the righteousness to stand on that pedestal and condemn her is saying, I don't condemn you. Go away from now on and do not sin Again, he called sin, he called her irresponsibility irresponsible and loved her in her brokenness. So don't do it anymore. You know it's only going to lead to hurt. It's only going to lead to moments like this. It is not right. It is not good for you. It is not good for your family. It's not good for your friends. It's just not good. Don't do it anymore. The world and the religious leaders and maybe some people in the audience in that moment look at that brokenness as weakness. Because guess what? We look at brokenness as weakness, don't we? Oh, you didn't change the oil in your car and so now it's done for? You don't look at them and think, oh, they're just a human being and I love them. You think, what's wrong with you? How'd you mess that up? What's going on in your life that you felt that behind? That, that's what we tend to think, isn't it? We, we look at that brokenness and we tend to avoid that brokenness, right? We tend to judge that brokenness. It's hard. And you know what it's felt like to be on the receiving end of that judgment sometimes. When you did something and, and what you really needed was Jesus standing there saying, I don't condemn you. Let's not do that again. And instead you got, we're taking you out. We're done with you. We want to make an example of you. How dare you? Shame on you. Jesus, the world looked at that as an, uh, a moment of weakness. Jesus looked at it as a moment, an opportunity to love. To say it a different way, he looked at it as a moment to take responsibility in a situation of brokenness where no one wanted to take responsibility. Everyone just wanted to point fingers. He stepped up and met brokenness with love. And that Oh, man, that is hard to do. 
It is hard to stand up in a room full of people who think one thing should be done and stand up and do the other, especially when the other thing feels soft and kind and generous and merciful like forgiveness does. But that's what Jesus did. And he didn't just do it once. He did it again and again and again and again. I mean, the list goes on. When he saw a broken Jewish tax collector named Matthew, the rest of the world saw a man who had turned their back on their culture, on their nation, and every other Jewish person hated somebody like Matthew. And Jesus looked at him and saw a future follower, a future author who would tell Jesus' story. And Jesus said, follow me. When Paul was going through his first half of his life, he spent tearing apart families, Christian families, and condemning fathers and mothers to death and imprisonment and trying to stamp out this following of Jesus followers. And he did that with a zealous anger and righteous passion until he met Jesus on the side of a road and Jesus met Paul's deep hurt and anger and fear talked about that last month his fear and he met it with love and it transformed Paul when nobody else would take responsibility for Paul's actions Jesus transformed Paul into one of the greatest Uh, church starters, planters, visionaries, and authors that whether you're Christian or not, like academics agree, he was a world changer, Paul was. And he transformed around the Mediterranean rim and Turkey and and, uh, modern day Syria and uh, really started the transformation of the Roman Empire. It transformed Paul, an influential man, into one of the most influential people in the early church. Or Moses, you know, God meeting Moses. Moses, the rest of the world saw Moses as someone who had committed mur- murder. Moses saw himself as someone who committed murder and he ran away for it. Moses and the world saw himself as not a great communicator, not a great leader. He had a mumble or stumble or something and he just couldn't articulate very well. And what did God see? God saw the imperfect leader who was going to move a nation. Because God looked at brokenness and he didn't look at it with judgment. He looked at it with love. And when there was no one else going to bear responsibility for what was happening or our wrongdoing, what what does God see our wrongdoing as? Something for him to take responsibility for. And he did through Jesus. And Jesus died for our sins so that we could see very clearly God's love for us. To me, that's a leader. You see that today. You see that, well, every so often you see that where somebody stands up and boy, they they actually speak some truth and they're honest about it and they take responsibility for it. How does that feel? It's like a breath of fresh air, right? That's not normal. That's not how the world works. But it is how people who follow Jesus should work. Jesus followers should be the ones that step up, take responsibility, and show love. And the world, oh my friends, the world needs that. Your kids need that from you as parents. 
Your family needs that in their relationships, don't they? Somebody who steps up and takes responsibility. That's why I put the lids on the markers. Do I like it? Not at all. But I have a responsibility to love them even when they fall short again and again and again. Now, does my expectation continue to rise? Absolutely. It's a difficult game loving people well. God, this is a story of God trying to love people well for thousands of years. And it's complicated and it's messy. But he didn't walk away. He took responsibility. And we should too. We should too. Your marriage needs that. Your friendships need that. Your coworkers need that. They need that light. Our community here locally needs that. Our church needs that. The church inside, like we need it of each other. And the world needs it outside of our church community. And as a church, as Infuse, I, you know, I think we, we do pretty good. We definitely have some room for improvement. But like an example I was thinking about um, was, you know, we, this is a school. I don't know if you knew that. This is a school building. This is not a church. You are the church, okay? School building. Um, we are a tenant, okay? I want you to think of like landlord-tenant relationship, okay? We're a tenant, and we pay the school district rent, okay? But what's different is if you think of the rest of the world, how many tenants pay their landlord more money? Is that a normal thing? Well, it is for people who follow Jesus because we see and have seen over years of our relationship with the district brokenness, right? It started with what? It started with kids eating cheese sandwiches in the lunchroom because there was a lunch debt. And if you had a lunch debt back in those days, you got a cheese sandwich. So what did we do? If you were there then, we raised money and we gave it all to pay off that debt so kids had hot lunches. And it was an awesome partnership with a tenant and a landlord. And then it was crazy things. It was crazy things like um, an associate who got um, hit in the face from a student who had behavioral issues and her glasses broke and she did not have insurance and we were raising money at that point anyways to give it all away and um, the principal reached out and said, hey, we got the situation. Any chance you could buy a pair of sunglasses uh, glasses so this teacher could see? And we said, absolutely. And so we buy that, right? Um, Snow boots and whatever have you. I mean, on average, um, like rent compared to giving uh, we give somewhere rough numbers between two and a half to three times what we pay in rent to the, the students and the community and the teachers here in our school district. Why? Because we see brokenness and we can help. And that's what love does. We don't think in terms of, well, they're our landlord. They're just out to, you know, get us or whatever. No, we think we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility not for praise and admiration and appreciation. We just have a responsibility to do the right thing. We have a responsibility to, when we see brokenness, we step up and we take responsibility because that's what love does. That's what Jesus followers do. That's why Infused Church was started in a coffee shop, like Caitlin said, is because Stephanie and I saw that there was a need. There was a need for a church, a community of people that were welcoming to all those out there, the majority of people out there that didn't believe 
in who Jesus is or who God was or they haven't been in church in a long time. They're trying to figure it out to create a safe space for people to come and explore faith and find community. That you could come into our doors and bring your brokenness and your imperfection and your anger and your doubts and your skepticism, and we would love to help. Even if that means you decide at the end of the journey, now I don't think that Jesus guy really was who he said he was. I don't think God really exists. If that's your end conclusion, we honor that. But we just think there's some truth there that we want to help you to understand and help you to journey through and answer any questions if we can. Because we want to take responsibility in those broken moments. And it's difficult and it's hard and it, doesn't, it always ends, it's not a straight path. It is a messy, messy path. It is not black and white. It is very, very gray. And we're okay with that mess. Now, we talked last month, if you were here, uh, a little bit about um, fear. And we talked about this, some things we're going to change around here. <clears throat> and in the last two weeks, this is the family part of the message, by the way. The last two weeks, um, we have gotten, I've gotten emails, we've gotten murmurings and conversations, sometimes to me directly, a lot of times through other people sitting around you. And essentially the question is this, where's Pastor Taylor been lately? Did he leave? I want to explain that for a second. The Western church, okay, I'm, I'm including USA, Canada, Europe, is falling apart. It's not just declining. That's not appropriate. It's falling apart. Statistically, this is not just wishful thinking. This is just numbers. You can go Google it, look at Pew Research Center, look at Christian academics, look at non-Christian uh, pollsters and, and surveyors and all the, and they will all say it is like not really declining, it's free falling. In uh, 30, less than 30 years, Christianity, given current track, if nothing changes, will become a minority religion in the United States. A decade or two later, we'll be about 80% of what we are today. We will be a fraction. At the end of my life, the church will be a fraction, like a fifth or a seventh of what it is today. And so I hope you could see that as a pastor, as someone who thinks, gosh, this church stuff is just really good and this Jesus guy is really awesome, that that could, that could bother personally me and the leadership here at Infuse. That could bother us a little bit. That's not great. We shouldn't feel great around four to 5,000 churches closing every year, um, pastors quitting all the time. I mean, the stats on that are like, what, three out of 10 pastors actually make it to retirement. Um, in Iowa right now, it takes about one to two years for a church that's lost a pastor to get a new one. That's a really long time. That's not great, healthy, um, a healthy experience for a church because there's not a lot of people going into ministry. Um, and I don't think that's a good thing for humanity. I don't think that's a good thing for um, the future. I don't think that's a great thing for my kids. That's not the, the world I want my kids or my grandkids to raise, be raised in. And I think we get confused because we see a few healthy churches, especially in urban areas. We see a few healthy, bigger churches or something like that. And we say, okay, well, Christianity is still doing okay, but, it, but it's not. It's just, if you take everybody who's playing for Team Jesus, it's not going well. And there's many reasons for this, and I know some people, and including myself at a season of life when, when I considered myself an agnostic, would say, well, it's because Christianity is really a myth, and it's just old wishful thinking, and uh, now with science, we've learned so much, we really just don't need that whole God thing. That, 
those are not viable reasons. And I process through a lot and I can help you process through some of that too and and we can learn together. Um, But one of the biggest reasons I think for the biggest decline in Christianity in in the Western world uh, in thousands of years is because Christians have not taken responsibility in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of hurt, in the midst of questions and skepticisms and doubt as we should. Generally, what I hear on social media and in the news is Christians yelling and blaming the world for the decline of Christianity rather than looking at themselves and taking some responsibility or more accurately, stepping up and taking some responsibility. It's just easier to blame everybody else. And so we are constantly as leaders, as church leaders, not just of infused, because you have to understand you all didn't call us to start a church. God did. So at the end of the day, I love you all. But I got a boss that's a little bigger than you. And that's who I answer to. That's a biblical principle. And ultimately, I have to stand before that and say, here's an accounting for my gifts and passions that you have given me, Lord. And that is not just for the success. My passion is not just for the success of Infuse. It's for the success of the church and for light to be brought into the world for a group of people who are so passionate and so faithful. And so loving that they see brokenness, they step up and they take responsibility. So last summer, speeding this up, last summer, uh, church up in Cedar Rapids that we've talked to, that we've worked with over the years, has uh, came to us and said, hey, we should really partner together. We should figure out ways to do ministry and impact the world and, and, and love people more better together than apart. To which we said, let's great, let's great, let's sit down, let's talk about it. And so we scheduled the meeting to talk about it. Um, and I wasn't there, I was on sabbatical. We scheduled the meeting to talk about it. And before the meeting took place, like literally the week before the meeting took place, their pastor got a promotion and left. Okay, And so the conversation kind of changed because it was like, hey, how can we help you now, right? Because we see there's brokenness. It's one to two years to find a new pastor. How can we help navigate this with you? And the conclusion of both our infused leaders and the Cedar Rapids church leaders was, I think we would be better really together. Not because we want a bigger church, but because we have strengths and weaknesses and we think we can complement each other and we can help each other. And by net, we can make uh, the presence of God and the love of God a little bit more brighter in this world. We can probably help 200 more people find the love of God together than we can apart. And so the conclusion, so then I came back from sabbatical. And then uh, I was like, oh, okay, cool. This sounds, all right. Lots changed since I left. You know, you think I, I was gone for like a couple weeks here. Um, you know, imagine me coming back from sabbatical. It's like, hey, so things have changed, you know. And um, so the decision was made um, that, hey, we should um, partner together. And not only should we have a church for imperfect people to explore faith and find community here, but we should do that in Cedar Rapids as well. And so we talked about that at our state of the church meeting in November last year here at the school and uh, um, let everybody into what was happening and had Q&A and conversations. And, and that conversation will continue, um, but it has began a journey. And so for the last few weeks, when people say, where'd you go? Okay, well, I said that this was happening, and so we're on an alternating preaching schedule. So right now, Devin, if some of you know Devin, Devin's up there preaching today in Cedar Rapids. And then Stephanie's going to go up there for the next month and preach, and I'm going to be here. Bam. I'm going to be here. Don't worry. Okay? We're going to be starting a new series. It's called 
uh, resistible religion, where Christianity went wrong. It's going to be fun. Um, it's going to be and educational and hopefully personally helpful. Um, but, but that's what's been going on. Um, not, not because we wanted more work, because well, we really didn't. We have enough. Um, but, because, um, but because there are people that are feeling a little broken. And there's a church that really without probably us stepping in would not continue for a very long time. And so we had an opportunity to do this, to see something that needed fixed, to step up and take responsibility. And this is really difficult to do. And it's not always perfect, but we try to do the best we can in love. It's part of our responsibility. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20, the Great Commission, the last few words of Jesus before he left the earth was, hey, Christians, if you follow me, you need to go out, make disciples of all nations, not just the ones you like, and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. It's not, hey, come to service between 1030 and 1130 and sit there, enjoy the message, grab some coffee, go home. That's not what he said. I know, shocker, that's not what he said. He said, you got to step up and take responsibility. To which you say, well, Taylor, that's great, but let me get this straight. So we're going to not only put great events on in the community, we're going to, you know, raise thousands of dollars and help and serve people here locally, internationally. Uh, We're going to do kids ministry on Sunday, youth. We're going to have a band. We're going to do production. We're going to do small groups. We're going to be educating. We're going to leading. We're giving, inviting, serving. On top of that, we got to help now another church do that while they're transitioning and struggling. And and in the midst of that, we're going to try to raise up new pastors and leaders and start being sending pastors out into our, our state. Um, I don't know if you know this, but it's, it's not the easiest to get people to move to Iowa to pastor a church. I know, I know you'd think, well, the weather's great, okay? The summers are cool and easy. I know, but it's hard, okay? And so instead of trying to find people outside, let's lift up the amazing people that we already have here. And so, Taylor, we're supposed to do all of that, to which I would say yes, because that's what love does. That's what God prompts us to do. And when we do that, we see lives change and and we see the world change and we see smiles on people's faces. That is a good thing. That is a good thing. We need more spirit-filled people living living out patience and love and mercy and grace and leading sacrificially. We're imperfect people. We're not always going to get it right, but we are sure going to be at least known for this. At least known, hey, that's the church that when there's a need or some brokenness, at, there may only be a few hundred people, and remember Jesus had 12, but there may only be a few hundred people, but they step up and they take responsibility because that's what love does. And I don't know about you, but I just can't imagine the next 10 years are going to be brighter here in Tiffin or Coralville, North Liberty area. That the world is going to be a brighter place without authentic followers of Christ bringing that kind of love into the world. I just don't think it's going to be a brighter place. That's not a world I want to imagine. And so I want you to be a part of changing that. And we are not going to change the overall trend, but we are going to start being a light in a new direction. Like this direction, not this direction. And that means we individually have to take responsibility. That means it's going to be uncomfortable. That means Taylor's not always going to be preaching here. Why? Because my responsibility is here, but also to the world. Because guess what? That's his responsibility. And if it's his, it should be ours.
and the world will be brighter. Wouldn't it be cool to know 10 years from now that there are 30, 40, 50 new churches or 50 pastors out there pastoring because we gave space for people to learn and grow and preach and teach and get messy and make mistakes and we lifted them up. We were encouragers, not criticizers. We jumped up and we said, we wanna take responsibility. When Caitlin says, hey, I'm gonna you know, pursue a call to ministry, she's already got a master's degree and now it's like, hey, let's go do more education. That's super fun. Yeah, we say, hey, how can we help? How can we help? It's not a lot, but we'll help where we can and help you live out your calling and go change the world because that's what the world needs. And you know that and I know that. There's a lot of different ways around it. I just think Jesus is one of the best ways. So please, let's be of the spirit. Patience, love, kindness, forgiveness, mercy. Let's encourage, let's step up when we see a hurt. You can do that individually tomorrow. And we will continue to try to do that better as a church tomorrow as well. And it's not going to be easy and it's not going to be comfortable. But love in its godly sense is not that. It is messy and it is challenging. But boy, this is a group of people I want to do that with. So before I cry more, let's uh, close our eyes and pray a little bit. Heavenly Father, Lord... Lord, help this sink in. Help this to settle just right in our hearts and our minds. That we would be honest about maybe where we've been a little selfish individually and wanting things to not change and be the same. And recognize that sometimes if we do that, we neglect the brokenness that needs to be addressed. We neglect the brokenness that Jesus called us to take responsibility for. Help us to not just walk in on Sundays and walk out. Lord, help us to step up. Lord, help us to meet that phrase, I don't wanna, with I'm gonna take responsibility. Help us to see when we need to take responsibility and to also see sometimes maybe when it's not our responsibility. But overall, understand that it is our responsibility to love to love in small ways and big ways when there is brokenness in front of us. Help us to make this a defining part of our church community. Help us to make this a defining part of a new church community in Cedar Rapids. Help us to be better together, to leverage our strengths and to lift up our weaknesses so that the world right here in this corridor would be a brighter place because a group of a few hundred individuals stepped up and took responsibility. Lord, it is easy to do or to say, but it is definitely hard to do. So Lord, be with us as we do this. Help us to be humble and learning as we step up and take responsibility. Lord, be there with us. Give us the strength we need, the people we need to do that well. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.